0: This week, our nation has saw a bunch of chaos happen. Darkness seems really prevalent at the moment, doesn't it? Saw this morning on the ticker that another shooting took place in Birmingham, Alabama, at a hospital, four dead. Newtown, Connecticut, 27. And it would seem as if darkness is really at work and messing stuff up, doesn't it? But right there in the middle of all of that, in the chaos and the hustle and the bustle, Jesus seeks to use his people to bring some hope and some peace and some life where there's devastation and discouragement. saw a dad this morning offer forgiveness t- to a person who shot his six-year-old daughter and reach his hands toward the family of those who brought such tragedy to his own life. And I thought, that's Christmas. That's Jesus. That's the story of the gospel. That's the light of hope penetrating the darkness of life and chaos. Let's pray because our country hurts and they need to be able to make sense of all this. And the way they make sense of it is that Jesus penetrates the darkness. He changes the circumstances. Father, right now, in this moment where we celebrate everything, Lord Jesus, that means anything to us in the form of this baby born in a manger, Lord Jesus, we we bless your name this morning. And we bless you in the middle of difficulty, in the middle of destruction, Jesus. In the middle of death and everything else going on around us, we exalt your name. Lord, we ask that you would change, God, this whole thing. Lord, we know that legislation and and knee-jerk reactions and all that really doesn't fix anything. God, it's the heart of man that needs fixed. It's the heart of man that needs healing. It's the heart of man that needs hope and, 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 and change and light and life. And so, God, everywhere there's this, this residue of darkness and, and destruction. God, we pray for the families of people in Connecticut right now. God, who are trying to make sense of what they do. Lord... We ask you to bring healing to their brokenness. We ask you to exalt your name in the midst of their lives, God, right now. And, Lord, we pray, Jesus, you would show up big and strong. We pray for your joy to be prevalent and your peace to be overwhelming. And we pray for your love to surround them as if it were like a blanket of snow, Jesus, right around their lives. And God, we pray for those in Birmingham who are trying to also to pick up pieces. God, I don't know all the details of that story, but you know them. You know them all by name, Lord. And I pray, Jesus, you do your work. God, where there are Christians in the midst of it, God, I pray, Father, they'd look to you. And they'd be the brightness of your glory shining in the midst of it, God. And they'd have just the right words at just the right time. Jesus, we, we don't understand all of this. We don't understand what makes somebody make these kinds of decisions and cause these kind of acts. But we know one thing, Jesus. You're faithful and you're true. And your grace is sufficient and your power is strong. And God, your light can never be extinguished by darkness. And so, Lord, we pray that that would be the case right now in the midst of our country, Jesus. Today, Jesus, lift up your name all around this, this nation, Jesus. We love you, and we trust you, and we honor you. It's in your great name we pray, Lord. Amen. You know, it's really important that when we find ourselves facing difficulty, that we don't just jump to conclusions. When chaos happens and life goes on and things are, we cannot be those who make quick, rash, harsh decisions. We've got to be those who, are, who, are, who, who, who add the peace to the storm. We've got to be those who add joy in the midst of conflict. We've got to be those who, who just don't knee-jerk around and do all that kind of crazy. We've got to be those who, who, who carry the banner of light and of life and of love and of hope right with us wherever we go. Sometimes we can make quick assumptions about how things are or what they are. We can make quick appraisals about what life is and what needs to be done and, and how things ought to go and, and all of that stuff. And if we do that, most of the time we will make wrong decisions. Our appraisal of situations cannot be assessed at the initial outgoing of what happens. Our appraisals have to be made in the light of the Word of God, in the light of of the will of God, and in the light of the character of God. And If we don't assume those three things, we cannot make good decisions, and we cannot make good appraisals. You know what an appraisal is, right? An appraisal is something that assesses value to a particular thing, right? Patrick and Lee are sitting here in the front row. About a year ago, they went to go get their house refinanced. And they had to go get an appraisal. Well, the appraisal comes back, and it's not worthy, <laughs> to say the very least. Am I right? And there are things that make up an appraisal that, that, that have to do with fluctuating factors and circumstances. Okay, that's why we cannot, we cannot make assumptions or, or decisions based on temporary things. We have to make appraisals and assumptions based on eternal things, chief being the word of God, second being the will of God, third being the character of God and the voice of his spirit speaking to us. If we don't do that, things get all kind of crazy, and what we think about something today might be different tomorrow, and what we think we ought to do might be the wrong decision altogether well fast forward a year later just a few weeks ago they 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 go to see about refinancing again because the 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 interest rates go through the floor you know what happened suddenly their house is worth thirty thousand dollars more than it was a year ago you know what that is because maybe a house across the street got sold and it got us for a certain price and then that happened over there and all this and all of a sudden these temporary things adjusted and dude the, the appraisal wasn't correct to begin with Am I right? And they would agree that, uh, that appraisal probably wasn't, wasn't accurate in any way, shape, or form the first one. See, our lives are like that. We can make quick assumptions. We can base our ideas on temporary issues and things like that and then end up completely in a wrong place, doing the wrong thing, not able to do what we have being called to do because we've made a certain set of appraisals about a circumstance, attached a certain value to it, and then we're not able to move forward and do what we're supposed to do. We have a perception, a perspective of how it ought to be what we think is correct, and then all of a sudden, blammo, it's the, we're, we're in the wrong frame of mind, the wrong heart, the wrong direction, and we're in bad shape. There's a story in the Scripture about this, this, this idea of, uh, of Jesus being born that follows exactly that line of thought. The guy's name is Joseph. He finds himself embroiled in the middle of that circumstance. And he doesn't know what to do. Life is dealt a difficult blow to him. And he's trying to sort through it and makes it. I call him kind of a secondary figure. Only because after Luke chapter 2, Joseph just becomes invisible. He, dis, he, dis, he disappears. But his role is no less that important to the life and the, and, and the purposes of Christ. And we'll look at his life this afternoon, yeah, This afternoon, and we'll, make a, we'll decide for ourselves where we fit into this thing. Are we quick to make appraisals and, and decisions about things? And are we doing that with the heart and the mind of Christ, or, or what's going on? So if you would, turn to Matthew chapter 1, start at verse 18 with me, and we'll talk about this guy named Joseph. Joseph, there's some things that are said about him that we need to consider and look at. We're talking about hope. Hope has come. And hope, hope is a funny thing because hope, it, 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 it's hard to put our, our mind around something. It can be a feeling of expectation and desire for a certain thing to happen. And oftentimes in life, what we desire to happen and what actually does happen end up being two different things. Another definition for the word hope is this. A person or thing that may help or save someone. Well, I kind of like that one. That's the American Heritage Dictionary saying that, of all things. And in this day where we consider Christmas and the coming of Christ and all of that stuff, hope has come, and he is a person. He has come to seek and save that which was lost. He is our hope. But his coming brought certain difficulty and turmoil to the lives of those who were caught in the story. Joseph being one of them. A hope is a grounds for believing that something good may happen. We'll also find out about Joseph that he had certain expectations and things he'd hoped would happen, and then suddenly in a moment they're just dashed to pieces, and he has to figure out what to do from there. Another, word, another definition for hope is a feeling of trust. And if we're going to come full circle in this idea of hope, we have to get back to putting our trust in the one person who makes all the difference, who's there through thick and thin, our God and our Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Matthew 1, 18, are you there? Say Merry Christmas if you're there. That's good. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. Verse 18 says, When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found wow, to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man, a good and godly man, I'm to put her to shame, resolve to divorce her quietly. Well, that's a mouthful in those two verses. Let's talk about this idea of betrothal because there's, there's an idea of he was engaged to be married. One translation says he was betrothed, we read here. And then he talks about divorce. We, we wouldn't think in those terms in our culture, would we? If we engage and things go bad, we just part ways and just, it's, just, it's just the end of the story, right? Not so in the Hebrew culture. Hebrew culture is different than ours. And a betrothal would take place. There would actually be, there was this idea of of arranging marriages. And so Joseph's parents and Mary's parents kind of got together and thought, hey, let's make this thing work. Anybody ever done that? Some of you parents are sitting there right now going, hey, I, I know who I'd like for my daughter my son to hook up with. Maybe we can make that happen, right? Huh? All right, and you're looking across the church at the parents of the other person you're thinking of right now going, "Hey, can we get together after church and have a conversation, and maybe we can huh? I can think right now of some 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 young men I'd like to make sure my my daughters get hooked up with. You know what I mean? Anybody there, huh? This idea of betrothal, there was this arranging of of marriages, but there was also a ceremony attached to it. In the Hebrew culture, you have a ceremony to, 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 to make this betrothal thing actually happen. And these two people would become almost married, committed to the level of marriage. But here's what would happen. They wouldn't live together yet, and they would not have intercourse yet for a whole year. There were two facets to that reasoning. One was it gave the male a chance to prepare a place for his bride. Number one, when Jesus utters words in John 14, I go to prepare a place for you, it's very much in that vein of thought. We'll be invited to the marriage supper of the Lamb. We are called the bride of Christ. And so there's this whole idea that there's going, Jesus is going to make this thing complete one of these days and invite us to the place he's created us for. And that's where Joseph was in this scenario. The other piece of the puzzle was this and this is where where, where things get lopsided it seems like to me it was a chance for the woman to prove her purity a whole year was given to make sure oops nothing came up pregnancy for one and if that happened then things would be off are you hearing me and so here is Mary and Joseph in this betrothal state of affairs. Here they are about to start life together, and, and Joseph's got the building materials and he's working on the place, and all of a sudden, Mary shows up one day. Hey, Joseph, I've got a, got, a, got a surprise for you. I'm pregnant. I can see Joseph right now will get weak in the knees. How am I supposed to process that? How am I? I mean, we were going to live a life together. I mean, what are you talking about? And then she goes, You know, and, and it's God's fault. Come again? And he's trying to process that whole thing, because that, that was the whole purpose of the betrothal thing, that this thing wouldn't happen, and he would know for sure that she was true and faithful and all that stuff, and all of a sudden life has just collapsed around him. Ah And when he's making decisions, he's got to process. All it. He knows what the law requires. He knows what God's word says about all this. He's trying to get his mind around it and his heart around it and his life around it. And all of a sudden, what he thought was going to be a great thing and a great life suddenly looks like it's never going to happen. I don't know if we, we, we get past that sometimes. Surprise, surprise, Joseph. I mean, this, this idea turned his family upside down. I mean, we're talk, we talked last week about these other two secondary figures in the, in, in the thing, Elizabeth and Zachariah. Here's the funny thing about them. They were hoping for that. It never happened until way late in life. Now, Joseph and Mary aren't looking for this. They don't want this. They're not expecting. And all of a sudden, it just shows up. <gasps> and so then their life is turned completely upside down. It's funny. When God gets to working around things, lives get turned upside down. Things, get, things that are normal suddenly become abnormal. Things that are just floating along just fine. Suddenly like, uh-oh, what does that mean? Where are we going now? That's, woo, hey. And that's where Joseph finds himself. He's a godly man. Praise the Lord for that. And and, and he, he has to make certain, certain things. He has a decision to make. What's the right thing to do? What, how do I process this? It says something about... Mr. Joseph, I don't know what to call him. I don't know his last name. He's in David's line. I don't know. Joseph, son of David. I don't know. It says he's just. And this word just means to be righteous or upright. It means being in accordance with, listen to these words, being in accordance with God's compelling standards. Wow. You know, when the Bible says that about you, When God, through the Holy Spirit, asks people to pin words about your life and your character and those things are said about you, that's pretty stinking intense. This is not some face value kind of on the surface kind of acknowledgement. This is, wow, this is who this guy is. Wow. In vines, I talk about this word just. It says it's said of God. It designates, listen to this, the perfect agreement between his nature and his acts in which he is the standard for all men. And it uses this same word to talk about this guy named Joseph. His character and his acts were in congruence with one another. He didn't say one thing and do something else. He didn't believe one thing and do something else. When he did something, it was because he had conviction. He believed that when he said something, you could take it to the bank. Joseph meant business. Wow. Oh, that would be sad about me. And that would be said about you. And this is the family God in his infinite wisdom is choosing to place the birth of our Lord into. Wow. Proverbs 26 says this, many a man proclaims his own steadfast love, but a faithful man who can find. We can talk the good talk. We can proclaim how faithful we'll be and how we'll be there through thick and thin and everything will be good. But then the Bible goes, but who, who can only really find a guy like that? Wow. One, one, one commentary talks about Joseph. It says like this. How different was the spirit which Joseph displayed from that of Judah? See, Joseph, the scriptures tell us, sought to put Mary away privately, the Bible says. See, in, the, in, in this thing called the kingdom, there's these two elements that have, that have to work hand in hand. There's this idea of grace on one hand, and there's this idea of truth in the other hand. And we have to find a way to make those two things work together. And sometimes we think that you have to do one, and when you do the one, it's at the expense of the other. And when you do this one, it's at the expense of this one over here. But somehow God anticipates that we're going to walk this thing out bringing those two ideas together. And Joseph finds himself kind of trapped in the middle of them things. Them things. Thank you. Welcome to Southern Ohio. And he, he's asking Joseph to make a conscious decision. And Joseph has such a heart for the things of God. He knows what should be done, but his heart aches on the inside of his, ch- his chest about what should be done. He knows the law, the truth says this, that somebody caught in a circumstance like this needs to be drug out in front of everybody. Big rocks need to be picked up and thrown at them because they have betrayed one of the most grave of laws in all of the scripture. And yet, he's the one in the middle of the betrayal and he cannot bring himself to think consider such a thing. The Bible says that Jesus in John 1, he was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And that word became flesh and dwelt among us. And in verse 16, it says these words, the law came through Moses, but grace and truth came to us in Christ. Wow. And here he's, God's putting him right in the family where a man is actually trying to figure how to carry those two ideas out. See, because Judah in the Genesis had a similar circumstance. And the, 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 The commentator here says, how different was the spirit which Joseph displayed from that of Judah, who in a similar case hastily passed that severe sentence, bring her forth and let her be burnt. You can look at Genesis 38, 24 if you want to and think about that. The commentator says, how good it is to think on things as Joseph did here. Were there more deliberation in our censures and judgments, there would be more of mercy and moderation in them. Bring her to punishment is here called making her a public example, which shows that it is the end to be aimed at in punishment, the giving of warning to others. It is in terror orum that, that all about may hear and fear, smite the scorner and the simple beware. But Joseph chooses another path. It's like, I'm not going to bring her out in the middle of all this. If I bring her out in the middle of all this, they're going to they're beat her till she dies. I'm not on that. And he's trying to make the conscience, deliberation, and, and sense of all of this going on in his life. Now tell me something. If you were God, you're trying to make sure that this Savior is born. What kind, of a, what kind of a father, natural father figure do you want to help him navigate through life? A guy who knows the truth? Absolutely. A guy who knows how to operate in grace? Absolutely. You want a guy who can deliberate and think about things or a guy who's rash and just runs off in a, in a hurry to, to make judgments and to, to condemn people and to, to do all that? Is that what you want your child? to be? I mean, think about this. This whole idea. Think about this for a minute. This whole idea of what happened this week. Innocent children. You know what God did? If we were playing this story right now, I heard stories of principals and teachers giving their all to make sure their their students would be safe. You know what God did? God said, I know this chaos is coming. He heard the gunfire and the shots. He ran to the door of the school. God would have stood there like this, slung that door open. Hey, son. There are some kids in there that need saving. How about you go in there and do business and take care of that? His only son, the scriptures tell us. Put your mind around that for just a second. Talk about the innocence of life and all that sort of thing of young ones. But think about what our God did for us. He heard the gunshots. He heard the fire. He runs to the door. He opens, slings it open and says, son, you can do something about that. Why don't you run in there? Jesus ran into humanity in the middle of the destruction and the death, and he began to do business with the evil that resided there. Is that awesome? Now think about the person you want helping to train that young man. Who will be the person who will show him the epitome of masculinity as he walks on this planet? Who will be the person who will help him to, to see what fatherhood looks like and help him see what love looks like? Help him understand how to treat treat people around him. Who? It's a guy like Joseph, is it? Not a guy who responds rashly and just flies off the handle and just can. But a guy who knows has such heart and compassion, who is wise and understanding, who can who can. Men, there's there's a there's a there's an equation in, in here for us to figure out how to live live godly men, men type lives right here in Matthew chapter 1. Right there. You want to see what an example of fatherhood is like, or an example of husbandhood is like? Look at this guy named Joseph in Matthew chapter 1. It's a tall order, man. But I got news for you. If Joseph could do it in the age of the law, why can't we do it? With the help of the Holy Spirit and grace and truth working hand in hand. Huh? Why can't we? I think we can. I think we can. You, you know what, husbands, you all to look at your wives right now and look at them and go, you know, I think I can. I think I can. With the help of God, with the power of the Holy Spirit, I can do that. With the grace and truth that I know has already been given to me, I can do that. I saw a quote this week that just fried my circuits. Check this out. God's already forgiven you for more than he'll ever ask you to forgive somebody else for. He's already forgiven you of more than you'll ever have to forgive anybody else for. And that's true for every stinking one of us everyone in this room. And that's the kind of person God puts Jesus right in the middle of his home. Wow. A just man does this. He processes life through the Word of God. He takes the Word of God, he looks at it, he processes it, he thinks about it. In Micah 6 8, you'll find these words What, what, O man, does God require of you? But that you do justly. Make right judgments about life in light of the Word of God and do it. But to also, check this out, love mercy. Do we see that trying to take place right here in the middle of this narrative in Matthew chapter 1? Absolutely. And number three, to walk humbly with God. God, what do you say about this? I know what I want to do, but I humbly submit to your will and your power and your authority, and I will do what you say do, no matter how you say do it, when you say do it. I will do that. And here's Joseph caught in the middle of that, caught a just man. I found an article about Joseph recently, and it had four statements about him. It said, poor Joseph. God didn't get his approval before acting. Does God ever consult you before he does something? I'm just wondering. Usually he doesn't ask me. Usually he does. He goes, hey, take, take advantage of that circumstance. I'm like, oh, take advantage of it. It's like it's taking advantage of me, I think. I don't know. He's, number two, the guy said, this narrative reveals the actions of a righteous man. Even in his concern for Mary and her reputation, he was still determined to divorce her. Yet the narrative reveals that he took time to consider his actions. Joseph resisted the, number three, Joseph resisted the urge to act rashly and harshly. In response to all of that, God gave Joseph a dream that would change his life forever. Matthew chapter 1, verse 20, we'll keep reading. But as he considered these things, wasn't acting rashly, wasn't acting in, 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 in haste. Behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you will call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. And... All this, the angel says, took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, huh. which means God with us. When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son. He called his name Jesus. Funny thing is, in the middle of this turmoil, a man takes time to consider prayerfully look at and consider the circumstance make a a a great a good appraisal of the circumstance he finds though it's chaotic though it's crazy though it dashes his dreams and his hopes though it changes everything about what he perceives life to be he takes time to consider and in that moment of consideration in that time we don't know how long it was we don't know how many weeks how many days how long it was that joseph considered these things it gives god a chance to send the right messenger to his life you know what? Most of us today re- respond so quickly and so harshly to things, we never give God a chance to speak to us. Right sitting next to you, you know, I find in, in our mind, I don't discount the supernatural, man, I believe it with all my guts. But you know, what I found this day, God, Jesus has this thing called the body of Christ, and when he's going to operate supernaturally, he usually does it through them. And probably sitting right next to some of you right here right now is that angelic message that came to your life at just the right time. You were sitting in a connection group in the middle of a difficult thing and all of a sudden God spoke. Maybe one day in a service you were sitting here and, and, and Pastor Aaron said, hey, well, you guys just got to gather together around each other and just pray for one another. And in that moment, that message that God wanted you to hear because you know what happens? We find ourselves in fear and frustration and worry. We, we find ourselves being confronted like Joseph, and, and fear is the, the option at the moment. And God wants us to know we're not in this by ourselves. See, fear and faith work hand kind of hand in hand. Any place with an opportunity to operate in faith, the opposite of that is there's an opportunity at that same moment in that same place to operate in fear. You know why? Because there's, there's a lot of unknown about it. And always, when God sends his message, almost at the very beginning of every one of them, there's this idea do not fear. What's the opposite of that? Respond in faith. You know what he's saying? I have hope for you. Trust me. And God, in the middle of this, is talking to Joseph and he says, Listen, don't fear. Don't fear. Don't pull back. Don't stop. Because our initial response when things are going haywire and crazy is to stop moving forward towards Jesus. To stop moving to- forward towards God. He's like, already, hey, you don't think this took me by surprise, do you? You don't I've known about this. I'm with you. Do not fear. It's okay. Some of you have missed opportunities. You know why? Because you don't get involved in connection groups. You'd rather do life in the rows rather than life in the circles. You don't allow anybody really to get in part of your life and become a wild part of what's going on. And you'd, you'd, you'd be content to hide behind the suit and the tie on Sunday morning and the, the happy, you know, the, and everything in the bulletin in your face and all that stuff. And the, But when you find yourself in life coming apart the seams, you need Jesus with skin on namely the people God's placed around you can link arms with and grow with and run with and talk to and pray for and pray with and listen to and acknowledge and ask questions of and all that stuff you can clap for that brandy it's okay if you're the only one that agrees with me about that we'll make this thing together okay she knows about that life dealt her some tough stuff And different people who are part of groups in her life were right alongside of her. And it's beautiful, isn't it, when it happens? And so here's this messenger sent to say, don't fear, don't worry, I'm here. And in the middle of that, God lets him know some other things. Hope is delivered because this message contains not just the word of God as it's written, but it contains two other things. That we have to have in our... See, Joseph was already knowing the word. He was trying to make a decision about what he knew about the law, about the word. He was doing that. It's like, man, how can I do this? And God gives him two other little elements in this message that help him make the right decision. He take, he's already working on the written word. But God sends him a message about his will specifically for Joseph. Have you ever been reading the word and all of a sudden you're in a devotional time or someplace and all of a sudden the word kind of jumps off the page at you? I mean, it's a letter written to some, you know, Philippians or some Hebrew people or something. And then all of a sudden you're reading those words and all of a sudden it's like the voice of God beckons and utters to you about something going on in your life. You're like, you ever been there? Oh, my goodness. And, and it's that written word, but it's like it's a specific, a specific thing to you that all of a sudden makes perfect sense. And you're like, oh, my. And in the middle of this message sent to him, the word of God becomes alive, and the God's will specifically for Joseph is illuminated. See, when you're in the middle of something and you're trying to make an appraisal and assessment about what's going on with life, you can take the word of God and you've got to start there because it's eternal. But if you just stop at the word of God and don't consider the will of God where it applies to you and what you're doing, you're never going to get very far. You have to take in consideration that God's speaking specifically to you out of his word. And when that becomes alive and when that becomes revelation, suddenly that which is foggy starts to become clear. God speaks to Joseph, And he says, he will save people from their sin. Joseph knew that. He knew different stories from the scriptures and the prophets about this coming Messiah. That was God's intention. But suddenly, when that angel speaks those words, those words become alive. And basically, God says, you know this plan I've had? You get to play a part of it, Joseph. Me, really? Oh, wow. He will save his people from their sins. And then as God always does, he, he couples that idea of his written word and his revealed will for us. And he says, remember this, remember my character. God tells Joseph this, He's faith, I'm faithful to my word. He says that by saying these words. And all this took place to fulfill what the Lord had already spoken by the prophet. You know what God's saying? You can trust me. When you wake up tomorrow, I'm going to be there. When you get up three weeks from now and life's still crazy and chaotic, I'm still going to be there. I've been working this plan ever since the beginning of time, and I'm not about to stop. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end, and I will make sure my stuff gets done, and I will be right there with you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I am with you. And so when you're making decisions, you take God's what you know about God's word, you allow him to reveal his will to you out of that word, and you allow him to speak to you about his character out of that same word. Is that amazing? When the Holy Spirit speaks to you out of those things and through the hearts and a lot of other people who give you, I mean it changes everything. And Joseph is the epitome of that because we keep reading and we find out that this command that God gave him is carried out. He stops fearing. And he follows through with the rest of the plan. Joseph changes his course in the light of, his, of God's written word, his law. In the light of his revealed word, his will. And in the light of God's character, he knows Jesus is going to be there, faithful and true, all the way to the very end. Let me ask you a question. Where are you at? Maybe life's dealt you some stuff this week. And suddenly life is, whoo, crazy. Crazy. Things aren't settled. Life didn't pan out. Your relationships at work are crazy. Your relationships at home are crazy. Your relationships in life are crazy. You don't know if tomorrow you're going to be laid off or keep going. Where are you at in that thing? Because, see, in this thing, the Bible says, God, that 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 his word would be revealed, would be fulfilled. It refers back to passages in Isaiah, the prophet. In Isaiah 9, verse 6, you'll find these words. And unto us a child is born. Unto us a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. And he shall be called Wonderful Counselor. See, what God's doing right here is revealing his, himself to us. When you're in the middle of chaos and things are uptight... What do you need? When you need to know what to do, what do you seek? You seek counsel. You, you seek ad- advice. In the middle of all this chaos, God says, I'm, I'm going to give you a son, a child, and his name shall be called a wonderful counselor. And see, when life is crazy and uptight and messed up, you need somebody who can do business. And so he goes, No, I will be called wonderful counselor. I'll, he will be called the mighty God. He can do stuff. That which is impossible with man is possible with God. He's mighty. I don't think you're getting it. Hang on with me just a second. And he says, He'll also be called the everlasting Father. He says, I was in there in the beginning and I will be there at the end. I will grab your hand. We will walk through life together. When things are way up in there, I am from everlasting to everlasting. There's nothing going on in this life that I haven't already tackled already myself. I will walk with you through that. We got this thing covered. And then he says this, and he will be called the Prince of Peace. In our mind, our vernacular, we think that peace means everything's cool and everything's calm and easy and there's no conflict and no strife. And no, that's, not what God, that's, not, that's not God's definition. God's definition of peace is having this calm confidence in spite of, not because of, circumstances. And he says, I will give you the Prince of Peace. The Bible says, and and Paul wrote, that that, that God gives us peace that surpasses all understanding. It guards our hearts and our minds. And so today, as you're considering your life, what's turned upside down that you weren't expecting, weren't looking for? Where is this this, this opportunity for this, this child to be born, to become in your life? that wonderful counselor where is that chance for him to become the mighty god where is that chance for him to display his everlasting fatherhood in your life where right now in your life is that chance for him to speak peace to your storm see here's the thing if you don't know christ right now and you're not constantly serving him he extends all that to you right now it doesn't matter what you've done you're not righteous like joseph i'm not righteous like joseph i'd like to be not one person sitting in here has ever been so holy and so great that they can, they can, they can demand of God things that he has to do for them every one of us are in desperate need of the grace of god and this person called christ born in that manger is the extension of that grace into our lives and he says right now today if you embrace me i'll embrace you and we'll run the rest of this life together and i'll make sense of the chaos and i'll be with you in the middle of the darkness and i'll help you see the light when things aren't going well and i will be right there that's what he says to you that's what christmas is all about that there's great darkness, but there's light that can never be extinguished by the darkness. He is light. He is life. He is grace. He is born on Christmas Day. You know, sort of. We at least celebrate his birth on Christmas Day. Even if that wasn't the real birthday, we celebrate it then, right? It's okay. Today, where are you? If you'd stand with me.